0: Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that whether we stay in the boat or whether we get out, that you call us to walk on water, that you call us to come to you, and you promise to save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please receive them. So you probably know this about me already if you've heard me preach a couple times, because I've gotten Peter a few times in, in the preaching that I've done. Peter is probably, of everybody in the Bible, the one I relate to the most. I love that. I love his heart. I love how he just, with all his whole being, jumps into situations and then discovers he's in way over his head. <laughs> I can relate to that. And maybe you can too. And I love this passage for a lot of reasons, and I'm going to touch on a couple things. But first, let's take a look at what happens in this passage at the end of the passage. What happens here is, is they, the disciples see this person walking towards them on the water, and they think it's a ghost. It's an understandable um, reaction, kind of startling to see someone walking on water. And, and then Jesus says, don't worry, it's me. Don't be afraid. And, and then Peter says, if it's really you, Jesus, if it's really you, you know, there he goes doubting a little bit again. If it's really you, tell me to c- walk out to you and I will. And so Jesus says, come. And so off Peter goes, looking at Jesus, walking on the stormy water, and he's out in the middle of of this storm, and then he looks down and goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And he sinks. The metaphor here is, is if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on water. But the minute we look at the storm, what happens? We sink. But the great thing about Peter, the thing I love about him is that he tries. The other disciples are still sitting in the boat, right? But Peter tries. He fails miserably all the time, but he tries. He gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and then discovers he's in over his head and he sinks and then Jesus has to pull him out. And there's that pattern that goes fairly constantly and consistently throughout the Gospels. Not just Peter, but the disciples, they get it, or they get part of it anyway, and then they fail miserably. And then they get it, and then they fail miserably. And Peter is the leader of the pack when it comes to that pattern of faith, failure, and then faith again. And in fact, that's the entire biblical story From the beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, God's people have faith, and then they fail, and then they return and have faith again. It's true throughout the entire corpus of Scripture, including what we see in today's Old Testament passage with Joseph and his technicolor dream coat and his nasty brothers who are jealous. Faith, failure, and then faith again. And there's two other water stories that I think this story of Peter and the disciples in the boat recall, and that's Jonah and Noah. Both of them had faith, and then they failed pretty miserably, and then they had faith again and did what God called them to do. Just like Jonah and Noah and all the saints before him, Peter is in over his head and he shows us that when we get in over our heads, that is precisely where we meet God. When we get in over our heads, that is precisely where we meet God. And the reason for that is, is when we get out in the middle of the water, and even though we might have felt called to get out there by God, and then we start looking at all the trouble around us, we start to sink. But in God's faithfulness, in Jesus' faithfulness, he always pulls us up out of the drink, keeps us from drowning, and we walk forward, hopefully with a little bit more faith than before the event. So when I was thinking about this whole idea of of this condition that we all have of faith, failure, faith, how can we more consistently live in that position of faith? Because the failure part isn't all that much fun, is it? (laughs) That sinking and sense that you're going to drown and that that the troubles of this life are going to overcome you. Um, that's not so much fun. So how can we as Christians who love God and, and like Peter, we try and we try to keep our eyes fixed on God, but then we notice the storms around us and we start to sink. How can we more successfully keep our eyes on God? Well, Jesus shows us how in the first part of this passage. Remember last week, he was trying to get away from the crowds and go to a quiet place to pray, but they followed him, and so he fed the 5,000 and women and children. It always kind of bugs me that the kids and the women don't count, but, you know, that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> but, but, um, but, uh, but so Jesus graciously feeds them, even though he wanted to go off and have quiet time with his, with his father. And today... In our gospel today, he actually gets it. He actually sends the disciples into the boat, sends them on their way, and he goes up into nature, into quiet, and has a chance to commune with God. I kind of think that if Jesus needed quiet time with God, so do we, right? If our Lord and Savior as a human being needed time with God, so do we. He was modeling for us this practice of spending time with God. As God, as man, he was modeling it for us. And by the way, as God, as man, he needed it. He required quiet time with God. And to maintain Our faith whether we're in a calm sea or whether we're in a stormy sea in our lives metaphor metaphorically speaking we need quiet time with God as well in order to stay in that place of faith rather than failure rather than fear rather than succumbing to the storms of our lives so coincidentally Tomorrow is the feast day for one of my spiritual heroines, um, and that would be St. Clair of Assisi. How many of you know something about St. Clair? Okay, a few. Woo! big wave back there. Ah, go, Clare. Well, Claire was really good friends with St. Francis, Francis of Assisi. You know St. Francis. Everybody's got his little garden statue of St. Francis with birds gathering around him and stuff. But the thing about St. Francis and St. Clair, both of them, they were dear friends as they were growing up. They both came from very, very wealthy families. They were in that top 1% that we keep hearing about. They were very, very wealthy. And Francis decided that that was not the way to true life to life with God, to true joy, to fulfillment, to his path in life, was not meant to sit in that wealth and enjoy the comforts that his family wealth gave him. So he gave it away, gave away some of his father's stuff too. And he lived a life of poverty. He felt that his call was to care for people that were not being cared for in their society, namely people with leprosy, and the very, very poor. And Francis felt that the only way he could do that was to become poor himself. And so that's what he did. And Claire, being Francis's dear friend, also felt this same call. And ultimately, um, with Francis's help, she also lived as a monastic and started an order of nuns who took this vow of poverty and this vow of service to the poor. And the thing I love about both Francis and Claire is that they they lived these contemplative lives where they spent a lot of time in prayer, but they didn't cloister themselves. They were out amongst the people, living with the people, serving them, loving them, caring for them. So they weren't they had this balance in their life. They weren't just doing the prayer thing or just doing the service thing. They did both. Right? They did both. Because that was God's call on their life. David and I had a chance at last October and we got to go to a CC and and see and walk all these places where Claire and and St Francis walked and it was an incredible experience and and a sense of kind of their spirit of holiness and service was kind of overwhelming for us, and we had the opportunities to sit in these ancient chapels of their of their cloistered monasteries and um, sit in prayer and worship, and the Holy Spirit just kind of oozed out of the walls. You know, it was just you. It was clearly that clear that we were standing on holy ground when we went there. So. As I was thinking about how we keep from sinking when we're in a storm, and that from this place of prayer and focus on Christ, we can hopefully keep from sinking. And then I got to St. Clair, I kind of segued there. I realized that tomorrow, on St. Clair's Feast Day, BCIS is opening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that is there's been a lot of frustration and angst over when the heck are we ever going to be open again and that darn city and, you know, (laughs) and I've come to this place as as months were going by, and when Father Michael hired me, he said, you know, well, I'd like you to start in January because I think we're going to be open by then, and, um, and that didn't work out, so I said, you know, February, it'll have to be. And, and, and so I started then, and then one month went by, and another month went by, and, you know, we're still not open, we're still not building, you know. And I finally got to the place where I said, well, this is going to be totally in God's timing, because I certainly can't control it. And isn't it interesting that God's timing for opening BC, reopening BCIS and our new facility is on St. Clair's Feast Day, a person who modeled the exact ministry that we do at BCIS. It's kind of miraculous how God times stuff. And when we decided to push the date to tomorrow, it hadn't occurred to me that it was St. Clair's Feast Day until I was studying to do this sermon. This whole idea of of walking in faith, failing, and walking, returning again to faith, and the remedy to that of quiet time with God and prayer and and soaking in God's presence as the answer to keep from sinking... (laughs) to keep from drowning in our sorrows and our troubles is this time with God, really was hit home with me this week as I was thinking about this passage and Claire and and my own life experience. So I came across this quote of St. Claire, one of many beautiful quotes, but this is the one I decided to choose. So here's St. Clair, what she has to say about staying in that place of faith and not going to that place of fear that draws us away from the presence of Christ. And she says this, Place your mind before the mirror of eternity. Place your soul in the brilliance of glory. And allow your entire being to be transformed into the image of the Godhead itself through contemplation. So in a, when you're in a place of faltering faith and you feel like you're beginning to sink, Jesus' response is to pull you to safety. But for me, I, I love it that Jesus pulls me to safety and he's always faithful and he's always picked me up when I've been in danger of drowning. But I really prefer not to be in that place of danger of drowning and be in that storm. So what I've tried to learn how to do and to vary with varying degrees of success in my spiritual life is to stay in that place of contemplation where I'm aware of Christ's presence. So that, as a friend of mine is fond of saying, I practice the presence of Christ instead of practicing the presence of the problem. You see, we're very good at practicing the presence of the problem, or at least I am. I'll speak in the eye. Because when I'm confronted with a difficult situation, I'll stew about it, I'll lose sleep over it, I'll get upset about it, and during that whole time of thinking about the problem, I'm not focusing on Jesus at all. But if we can manage to remember to turn once again and again and again, and again, to Christ and focus on Him, focus on His love and His grace and His mercy for us, then the problems that seem so insurmountable aren't. So, another story on myself about how I came to the place where I learned what was the best way for me to stay in the presence of Christ. I spent lots of time with spiritual directors and reading spiritual books and trying to figure out a way that I could meditate and pray and stay in God's presence as a daily practice. And one of the things that, that I was told and kind of common um, advice for people that want to be in God's presence is to choose a time in the morning, I'm not a morning person, but to choose a time in the morning and have a little space, a chair or a quiet space in your room and maybe light a candle and have your Bible there or your prayer book and, and do the morning office or pick out a scripture and do Lexio Divina or do all of these are great practices, don't get me wrong, and sit there and quietly pray and use all these prayer techniques that I learned. And, and the problem was, for me, that didn't fit me. I'm a kinesthetic learner, and so sitting quietly in a chair, I'd sit there like this. You can't see me over there, but I'd sit there, and I'd be tapping my foot, looking, you know. I couldn't do it. It didn't fit me. And so what I learned over the course of time, and this is kind of another one of those aha moments, is that God has created each of us so uniquely that all of us can do this practice of contemplation. But it's as different in me as it will be in you. And what works for me might not work at all for you. So the challenge is to find what works. For some of us, it's gardening, being out in the garden. For others, it might be surfing at the beach. It it might be going for a walk. It might be sitting in quiet contemplation. It might be preparing a gourmet meal or hanging out with your family or friend and friends. It can be, and I had someone tell me, I'm not going to share what his practice is, but I had someone after the 730 service share a practice that is so individualized and so perfect for him, but many of us would go, that's spirituality, you know? For me, what I discovered, because I'm kinesthetic, was that Dave and I take walks every day, and the rhythm of walking and the breathing that I do as I walk, that has become my prayer practice. That has become my time of contemplation where I both Unload what I want to unload on God and then take time to listen. And so that that walking, that steady pace, the breathing that I do, that fits me to a T. Sometimes I can sit in silence and, and pray quietly. But what works better for me and most consistently for me is this walking. It, for you it might be turning on some sacred music or, or playing music. Guitar, I play the guitar, and so for me, sometimes that'll do it too, where I can enter into God's presence just playing a bunch of praise music um, when no one's around. And sometimes that's really helpful for me too. But the, and Notice, that's kinesthetic too, right? So for me, the way God created me, that's it. The challenge for each of us is to discover What's the best way for us to enter into God's presence? Because I can't give you a formula. I wish I could. A lot of people tried to give me one, and it didn't work. So my challenge for all of us is to discover, and maybe you already know, but to discover that thing or that practice or that activity or that non-activity That carries you into the presence of God, that helps draw your heart to God's heart, where you can be contemplating this one who loves you beyond all measure. And I learned something interesting today. I didn't know this, but our Daughters of the King chapter guess what the name of our chapter is? St. Clair! (laughs) Whoop, whoop. <laughs> the one thing I can say to you about whether you're going to sink or whether you're going to walk on water is I know for a fact that the way that we can consistently, metaphorically speaking, walk on water is to stay in the presence of Christ. Is to stay with our eyes fixed on him. And your job, just as it is my job, is to discover the particular ways in which you're created and the way you are, are made and the things that work for you in order to keep your heart and your mind and your eyes fixed on the one whose love for you is beyond measure.